whole point of the Tesla experience is to not look and just look at the screen and watch Netflix, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there, that's another thing. There, someone published a thing with how to watch Netflix um, on your Tesla. And it's, of course, the same way you code on an iPad, right? You run some kind of instance somewhere and then you VPN into it. Or your, uh, what do you do? Remote desktop into it. <laughs> like this is not you watching have to Netflix Citrix first. Uh, no, it's a Chrome um, remote desktop. You know, because I really believe now all the Teslas that get in wrecks and people freak out about online. <laughs> I think they're all legit. Yeah. Well, it's be so it's because they recently pushed an update that updated the browser to be not a shitty browser and a WebKit-based browser, but because Tesla is smart, they disabled video playback on the WebKit browser. So it's a good browser, except it doesn't play video. And but the screen's broken. But, yes. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> let's, go, let's move on to... Really advanced you know technology what your screen, like iPhone OS is. What your screen really needs is a $1,000 stand. It needs more holes in it. <laughs> it needs full-on cheese grater. Like, not just, yeah. like, little cheese grater, like, yeah. giant chunks cheese well, they grater. They were like, hey, whiny professionals, you like that cheese grater? We'll give you four times bigger holes, four times as many holes, four, four times, times more expensive. Power. Yeah. <laughs> Good for airflow because it's just holes. Yeah. So, yeah, talk WWDC 2019, which I thought was actually really good. There are a lot of things that I really liked, uh, especially the part where everyone literally laughed and almost started booing when they announced the price for the stand. That was my also my favorite part. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have a little bit of a rundown, which it mostly started out with uh, tvOS. And they showed actually probably my favorite part. There are two favorite parts for this. One was the movie or the TV show that they showed, which is from the executive producer of Battlestar Galactica and, and Star Trek. I don't know which Star Trek, but some of uh, the Star Trek. Deep Space Nine, the best one. DS9. Okay. It's called For All Mankind. And it's basically uh, if Russia won the, the space race and the implications and fallout of that afterwards, which looks legit and is showing that apple isn't just doing dumb carpool, best car carpool, app, carpool cardboard karaoke and yeah. app store whatever with gary v and will <laughs> i am yeah uh it looks really cool are you sure will i am is not an executive producer on this for all mankind show it could be i don't know he's all this, an executive producer on all <laughs> apple production this looks le pretty legit and as yeah. somebody who owns an apple tv and i actually like it a lot i use it more than like a playstation just because it's a simpler control to just like have on all the time uh them announcing game controller support with all of the major xbox and playstation controllers or at least the two new ones the xbox one and the ps4 controller uh is gonna be i think awesome especially once they announce the uh the uh, games arcade service that they're probably gonna announce in the fall like i think that's actually a, a big deal a big win because the biggest thing is that they've always said or the biggest complaint i feel like for games that they haven't had good controllers and they just expected like the iphone to work but to just open things up like that i think it's gonna be awesome yeah totally so yeah, we'll see. I don't. I don't. I still don't think. I'll, oh no, you're right. I was just thinking. Oh well, they still don't make apps for you know, con, you know, controllers. But I think that's one of the rules to be in the arcade. 
It has to work. It has to work on Apple TV and have to have controller support. Yeah, I would imagine that. And uh, yeah, they're they're doing some cool things. Like they're we'll, we'll get to it later. Probably my standout for the show. Um, I was reading up on it more, and uh, what Apple is doing is going to be pretty cool. Uh, TVOS also has live backgrounds, kind of like Plex, where it has animated stuff. Basically, looks like it's ripped right off from that which is fine. And then multi-user support, which is cool too, I guess. And then underwater screensavers <laughs> are going underwater this more, time. More screensavers. That's one of the f- main features that they announced. More screensavers. Cool. Thank yeah. you. I'm glad you dedicated time to that on your <laughs> Underwater looks cool. I love underwater. Uh, I mean, it looks cool. Um, as a person who uses, I don't use Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I have in the past. I don't like it because I hate that damn touch controller so much. It's like I hate it with all passion that I could ever muster. Um, but uh, they did announce previous an Apple announcement, as we've discussed. They announced bringing Apple TV, the app, to smart TVs. Yes, including and I have, the I Mac have a couple and basically yeah. everything. I have a Vizio TV, which will be getting that. So I could, oh. th- in theory, access this stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I will. Uh, I do want to see that show. I may acquire it by other means. I wonder um, how they're going to do that as a subscription, if it's going to be a subscription or if it's going to be free just to try to incentivize people into the ecosystem. That one show or all the shows? Uh, well, all of them, I guess, because they are working on a lot of stuff. But I think it's going to be a one. subscription like a Netflix. Yeah. Oh, I guess it does fall into that TV Plus, which I think is the yeah, service. Yeah, TV Plus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it'll probably be five or ten bucks a month. Uh, Watch OS, which mostly by the end of it, I was just like, this is cool. This is everything more of what I want. Uh, Watch to be more standalone. Uh I still don't well, you're know. You're still not going to buy one. I still have no idea what I would do with an Apple Watch. Like the only reason I would get it is if it could help me go out without my phone. <laughs> and yeah. like, it's cool now that they have independent APIs running for uh, or independent apps and having more of the audio API working, so that you can do audiobooks and uh, music straight from the device and stuff like that, which is cool. And then more watch faces and bands. Uh, better health metrics, which looks pretty cool. Uh, a calculator app, which is awesome. Yeah, it taking step. It, it taking. I know the calculator watch. Hey, I but love the calculator. May be my number one used app. <laughs> it may be really? fairly close. I don't yeah. do math that much. I really I don't. I am just plugging around numbers all the time. I know you're like a CPA in training. I guess pretty much. Um, I like the fact that it's trying to become its own thing. They should have done that from the beginning and not tied it to like a sidecar to the iPhone. I imagine Um, it just didn't have the battery and processor available to do that without just killing the battery instantly. I suppose. But you think running a, a bunch of data over a network connection, Bluetooth or otherwise, to basically be a mirror of an iPhone would actually use a lot of battery as well. Instead of just running out. I bet it's more processor constraint, like you said. But um, I like it. Uh, again, I'm not going to use it because I use an Android phone. So that limits their market. So I guess it's, if there's a point where you can get a Apple Watch that is completely independent. Um, and yeah. that, that, opens, that opens the 
possible market to Android. That would people. actually be kind of a cool way into the ecosystem to just have a completely standalone Apple Watch. Yeah, because because one of the announcements is that the App Store is now on the Apple Watch, which would yeah. be seems really not fun to navigate, but <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, and the other health things that they added cycle tracking and the hearing thing i'm like why is that not everywhere those things yeah. they should be hearing hearing, that could be cool. that could be, being able to hear things is maybe one of the best things about being alive <laughs> um, um being able to track decibels like while you're walking and just standing somewhere i think would be awesome well just alerting you to the fact that something is too loud and you should not be there for such and such amount of time before you incur hearing loss is great yeah like a concert or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking particularly a concert, but I guess if you work in places where there's like heavy machinery and stuff, that, yeah. that as well. And then they were saying they're doing better health metrics over time, like correlating data month over month and year over year, which is cool because it's it's kind of subtle, but then it can say, hey, you're actually like things have been slowing down a little bit. Maybe kick it back into gear. Or if that's something that is actually serious and it's something that, you know, you share with your doctor or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of unfamiliar how all the data transmission to like a doctor goes and works and if it's successful and used in day to day practice. But um, I think that would be really cool for like, you know, um, like preventative care to see that somebody's like slowing down or is not getting out as much or the heart rate is, you know, irregular over the course of six months you know, stuff like yeah. that. When they did this announcement, they sort of backdoored it into talking about massive improvements to the health app just yeah. in general, which is great. Which like, is pretty I like, much what the Apple Watch is more than anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just don't know what I would do with it. I don't want notifications. Like, I don't ever want it no, to tell me that no, I'm, I'm getting I'm trying texts. to get notifications out of my life. Uh, more. yeah. So like, it would be cool if I could go out and run or like work out or go to the beach or something and know that I don't have to bring my phone with me. And if I need to get a call, I could, or something, or I could like, you, you could know. call you. Well, it has, there's the LTE version of the watch. You could call, you could text, you could now. Listen no, it to does music. have that, but it's just, it still doesn't feel like, I don't know. I guess at this point, I don't know what I need to sell me on it, but it just doesn't feel like it's something I need. I don't need a computer on my wrist. I really don't. Yeah. Are there even any Android smartwatches that are still in the race that are even still being produced? Like I think really only numbers? Fossil, Fossil and Fossil subsidiaries makes them. That's was really there the a, Was there a Motorola phone or there was a circular well, one yeah, that had that a circular the, face? Well, fo almost all of the Android ones are circular. Mm. Uh, the mo you're talking about the Motorola Oh, here? No, that's a Samsung one, which isn't okay. actually Android, which isn't, or watch OS as Android right. people call it. Um, what does it call? Yeah, I had that watch. The 360 it was like maybe? The, something yeah, like that? Moto 360. Yeah. That was a cool watch. And I also, I liked it because the be it was very not bezel-y. Yeah, that makes sense. I thought that was the best one and they just it killed it. I think it got, it was like a victim of the... Google selling Motorola and Lenovo buying it kind of situation. But yeah, yeah. there's been no, as we talked about when we talked about um, Google I.O., there was like no mention on stage of Wear OS. Of what? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, at the Google I.O., right. Yeah, Google I.O., no mention of Wear OS. So I don't know if they're 
and we're probably gonna make some more uh analogies too because like there is no mention of tablet you know as apple runs towards wearables and runs towards and we'll talk about uh one mm-hmm. of the cool features, I think, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. One of the cool features of uh, iOS 13 is the AirPod integration with Siri with the conversational thing. So you can be listening to music, get a notification, it will read you the notification, you can respond to it without saying, hey, Siri. Mm-hmm. Which actually, um, now that I think about it, Google Pixels actually do do. Um, if you have Pixel Buds or you have even the wired Pixel Buds, will do that as well. They're, they are technically assistant devices and you can they actually have an app or it's a weird um, when you plug it in, you get an extra like Bluetooth panel in the Bluetooth settings of a Pixel that says, what kind of notifications do you want this to talk to you about? So hmm, they actually it cool. actually has been there for a year on Google phones, at least. Yeah, um, but I don't think anybody knows about it. I don't use Siri or assisted voice assistant stuff at all. <laughs> I only use it to turn my lights on and off, basically. Yeah. I only ever did when I had a car with CarPlay, and I could tell it to change songs and stuff. That was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, then the, the bell of the ball is iOS 13, which now has system-wide dark mode, which I'm super, super pumped about. Weehoo. As somebody who still loves dark mode. Although they didn't get into it much, but on stage, like, you can only do so much. So I imagine there have been, they've been breaking it down more and news articles are picking up on it. But I'm curious how much control you have over it. And if you can do, like, dark mode, like dark gray or true uh, OLED black dark mode. Um, it doesn't look like true OLED. True, at least from the pictures. Yeah, I saw there's some a lot stuff of that gray. Was... There's a lot of gray panels, and there's a lot of like that blur effect that iOS uses everywhere, which I absolutely detest. Um, but like a dark version of it. Yeah, well, you can always turn that stuff off, and I generally do just because it theoretically saves battery. Yeah, I wonder if there's there might be like the high contrast accessibility. All the cool, all the cool features are in the accessibility. Like yeah. you go in, and maybe there's like a high contrast mode that turns it from dark gray to black. I, I would imagine so, especially now that pretty much every iPhone coming out is OLED at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that they said uh, they're reconfiguring, not reconfiguring, but changing the way that uh, like the app kernels are being sent to the App Store. And so they should theoretically have uh, much faster downloads and I guess just pure software processing to have like 20, I think they either said 20 or 50% faster app launches, which is cool. Um, they've incorporated their own. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, that was one of the interesting things that they talked about that because because last iOS was like their whole performance talking thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they, that was like one of the, the, most of the features were performance related in the last iOS. Um, it's interesting that I come out of the gate and talk about more performance gains. So hopefully that means there, that is a focus of, um, iOS going forward, like there's always going to try for performance improvements. But I will say that is a place where iOS is lacking is app download and startup time compared to Android. Because as we know, these A-series processors are a lot faster than these Qualcomm processors that are in uh, in raw speed than that are in Android phones. But if you ever look at um, like speed test comparisons, app load times on Android, that l- latest... Android phones compared to the latest 
iOS phones, Android phones beat them almost every time. Yeah, just like it stays on the splash page way longer. Yeah, I can't tell if it's actually loading or iOS is in love with its animation so much that it just, <laughs> you know, it it's actually being physically delayed to look at the animation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I did notice something, and again, we haven't even gotten to some of my favorite stuff, but I was thinking about it as it was ha- as they were talking about it, and almost every feature, everything they announced has a lot to do either with privacy or with just making things faster to the touch and like things of just things just being quicker and snappier even like the swipe keyboard is theoretically just a faster implementation like a lot of these things like the the um i don't know just everything like one issue i mean i kind of have with both phones but i notice it a lot on apple phones is that i feel like i just have to drill into a lot of menus and I feel like they're trying to find quicker ways to either get you to the right spot or do like just once tapping on things, um, which is one of those things that it's like it's hard to quantify either on stage or in practice. But using it day to day, I feel like you'll start to notice the the faster speed in which you do things, which I think is cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And then swipe keyboard, which I don't it's not swipe. At least I don't think, because I think Swipe was purchased by, by Microsoft. Yeah, was it Microsoft? Yeah. Um, so it's, so like, it's that kind of technology. Gboard also has Swipe. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so it's kind of it's somewhat universal at this point. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. But like you could have used because because iOS supports third party keyboards poorly, in my opinion, but supports yeah. them. There was the Swipe keyboard is on iOS, and so is Gboard, which both support the Swipe typing. Yeah, and at the point I don't, I completely forgot about that. Now that I think about it, I remember that they did introduce swipe keyboard, but totally forgot it even exists. Yeah, um, I, on my on my Android phone, I use swipe. I pretty much probably fifty fifty use swipe and tap keyboards, or it's the same keyboard, huh, but really? just that method. It depends on what I'm doing. Yeah, usually if I'm one handing it or I'm just in a rush, I will swipe because it actually is pretty good. Because yeah. I feel like I have more, you're not taking your finger off the phone, so it's, there's less of a chance that I feel like I'm going to drop my phone. Sure. So that's usually the met, the time I'm doing that. Interesting. Nice. And then uh, privacy and security stuff, which was, I think my favorite part of the keynote was the stuff they introduced here. Uh, stuff that just like, I've noticed constantly, and I'd never thought about it actually having a solution. Uh, one of them being when you open up an app and it automatically wants to know your location, you can do just once location sharing, which I think is awesome for like a food app or one of those like delivery apps to just say like, I want to order Chipotle, but I don't want to give it all my stuff. So you can do just once. And then once you turn it off, it won't have access to background data or anything like that. Um, better and then better scanning of Wi-Fi and background tracking uh, just yeah. stuff, stuff so, like that across the board. If it's implemented well, I think is amazing. Even if most people don't notice it, I think they'll use it in ways that is a net positive. So I, as you know, I used to work for a marketing company and we had like a vendor day. And one of the vendors was this company that was basically location tracking. So um, they would say like, you want metrics on this person went to this store or these kind of people go to this places, these places shop here. 
mm-hmm. kind of thing. And they're and this presentation you know, from this company, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have this data and we do these kind of things. We use why, you know, we use all these end arounds to like, yeah, get your date, you know, do this. And I was like. All, you know, all the business people were like, oh, that's so cool. And I was like mortified and disgusted. Feels so I, sketchy. Yeah. And just feels gross. Yeah. And I, I'm like, if you knew that that was the things that you were doing, even if it's anonymized, they, they, you know, they try to justify it that, you know, it's more or less anonymized. And still, I don't want you try. I don't care. I don't want you using my CPU cycles and my battery on my phone yeah. so you can monetize your bullshit. If you haven't already heard the episode uh, last week or a couple weeks ago where we talked about the GDPR stuff and I went on a rant about lawyers and being <laughs> trustworthy and the protection that, you know, law terms of service and EULA agreements have. And, you know, I'm again, I don't know where to take it, but I'm such a proponent of big companies, big tech companies need to start being almost the same way that, you know, nation states around the world like countries around the world ratify unions or you know ratify declarations about things i really want to see tech companies start making public declarations of what they're going to do with privacy data and take it seriously um to to stop stuff like that like there's no reason you know location beacon data should be on all the time and you know if you go to any any major blog or app or something like that like you go to a life hacker or any website like that uh with you know something like privacy badger or an ad blocker you'll see that there are like 40 different beak or ghost or i think it's i forget if it's ghost or ghostery is another good one but you'll see like 40 different ad beacons again you know pinging against you as you're searching and it's like that's you know it's it's not it's not necessary uh, and it really flies in the face of, you know, what good consumer privacy data should be. <laughs> oh, you know, something I wanted to just mention now that you said that, because I'm on the iOS page preview page that we're because uh-huh. we're talking about it. And I wanted to see how many trackers are on there. Guess how many? Uh, does actually I'm curious, is Google Analytics on there <laughs> or is it no. like New Relic or something? No. Are there any? Nope, there's none. Zero. I love it. You can also love go to it. my website and there will be zero trackers. <laughs> it's something I, so I they're made living a point what they're saying. I bet they're doing like probably just server logs to see, you know, how many people go there, but that's you can't really prevent that. Yeah, I'm sure there's metrics. And again, it's you know, it's not a bad you know, th- there's times when it's not a bad thing. And there are times like we've talked about with, you know, the Tesla car and I can imagine apps where I would love for the app to know my entire route, like when I wake up in the morning, how I get to work so that it can better equip me with certain things like better transportation or whatever the case may be. But just any site that you visit or any app, like, you know, there's so many apps that like have no business knowing your background data, but then won't load or will keep asking you for it and stuff like that. Um, I think we're going to have to make our way into controversy corner right now. Because, you know, the big controversy with one of the privacy announcements that they made. The what's sign that? In with The sign-in with Apple button. Yeah, what's that? The, the controversy is apparently in the new, new developer terms. You have that to go use along. it. You have to use it if you also if. provide other third-party sign-ins. Yes. So if you also use sign-in with Google or sign-in with that sign in with uh, Facebook or something, you also have to have sign in with Apple and it has to be the first item. 
Yeah. So, so much like, um, yeah, like, like anybody's seen with an app before, if you have the option to sign in by email or sign in by Facebook or Google or GitHub or whatever, there is now a sign in with Apple, which is theoretically a one click. Again, this gets back to kind of the speed of being able to do things quickly, like just tap the button and you're in and it does not track the sign in. If an app wants it, there's the ability for you to give it your name or your email or other information. It can't ask that. But at any time, you can always hide any of that data. And you can even hide your email with message forwarding, which is essentially like a VPN for your email. So Apple will create a hashed throwaway email account to give to that to that company. And then any email or anything that comes through will hit that email can get forwarded to your personal email without them ever knowing your email. And then you can always decide if you want to opt out or basically kill that email thread or whatever, which I think is awesome. And yeah, that was one of the things that I saw. If anybody allows a third-party sign-in, you have to also include the Apple one, which I was really curious at the time that they were saying it because developers who already don't get that much data from third-party sign-in, it really is more about convenience. You're giving a lot of data to Facebook and Google, but that third-party developer, if it's the Chipotle app, Chipotle really doesn't see much data. Well, Facebook used to where they've they've like pulled that back a lot right, but it right. used to be like if you sign in with Facebook you could request anything and get their friend counts and whatever yeah like, yeah get yeah. a list of their it used to be a list that you could get a list of their friends it was crazy it's a wild west back in the day yeah um, but, but yeah no th- I also so I also support this I also think this is great a lot of people are gonna, are going to bitch about it and I don't I hope Apple does not walk this back cuz there's been a lot of flack given to it but really, I, I have not seen. I mean, yeah, again, I'm a, a huge of fan of well, this. I think this is. I think this was the the crown jewel of the entire keynote, in my opinion. I think this is so. The, the fact is, it's anti-competitive behavior because it's forcing, you know, if you use third-party sign-ins to all, you you have to use this if you want to be in the app store. But uh, you can't okay. make a business decision to say no. We don't want to allow. Signing with Apple. That's fair. And I, see, I see, and I see the point, which is like a lot of these, a lot of these third party, or thir, thir, a lot of these apps are both Android and iOS apps. And I think if you support, you want to support the same kind of logins on both. And if you support an Apple specific one, you might have to do other backend work to support that. So I, I see why it's slightly anti-competitive. Sure. And I mean, this is coming on the heels of Apple already in some heat with the App Store um, and some indie developers and big developers um, threatening. And I think in the process, at least, of suing Apple for anti-competitive. But I I don't know. My personal thought is that Apple's in a pretty good place to defend that. I, I don't think there's real anti-competitive stuff going on. Uh, but I, I do understand the argument, and it does make a lot of sense. I mean, it's certainly Apple, you know, kind of flexing and saying, like, like I said, I didn't think developers were going to implement this. I thought that would be the problem, is that very few would. Um, but since you have to, uh, you know, at least I hope that Apple really puts the onus on developers to make it easy and, you know, within Swift uh, be as seamless and the OAuth tokens and whatever it's using to be as seamless as possible. Yeah. And me, I definitely, when these third-party signing things first started, I used to make use of them a lot because I hated 
creating a new log. Oh, I never use them. I, I but, never have. And I still don't like, I will go through the annoying process of signing up via email because I don't yeah. want, mostly I don't want Facebook ever having my crap. <laughs> like, yeah. I never use, I use Google. Yeah. Uh, Cause I trust them a little bit more ironically with, with my data. But, um, in recent years, I d- got rid of every single one of them and replaced it with an email sign in, in one password. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I still maybe would want to just stick with one password because, like, at the point, if they if a sign up with email literally just asks you for a password and an email, I'd almost rather just have total control over it because one password will just autofill that for you on iOS and Android. Yeah, I think the idea is just not spreading your email around, especially if you only have yeah. you know one or two email accounts and you don't yeah. have like a more sophisticated do, measure yeah. for. Uh, you know, for do, handling and filtering spam. Yeah, I don't do this, but I like I like this idea, which is like just give fake data, just give fake information all the time. Just like when they ask you for your name, don't give them your real name. Oh when yeah, I put in email, like Wolverine and stuff all the time. Yeah, like. yeah, exactly. So same thing with email, especially if you have a Gmail account, you can do that plus operator and then anything else. Yeah, and then because it ignores that part, so you can say you know. Ryan bot plus um, Facebook at gmail.com. And then you will know if someone sends that to you, that's not Facebook, that they sold your data to someone. Right, right. Or someone breached it or something. Yeah. So again, my, you know, I, I try to think of it not only in my, again, and this also takes trusting Apple, which, you know, they seem to have the right track record. They seem to say all the same things, even as somebody like myself who, is a generally a pretty big proponent of Apple hardware. It still takes trusting them, and if that trust is it also, breached, which it has been before, uh, it's you know. But you it also always takes, have to put your you always have to you know guess and have some trust in what you're doing. But it also takes being invested solely in the Apple ecosystem. What if you step, what happens when I sign into Apple? Say it's Lyft is using this. I sign into Apple using Lyft. And then I want to go online and I don't have a Mac. How do I sign into it online? How do I sign if I switch to an if I switch to an Android phone, what happens to that account? Yeah, because it's point. not my real email. I can't do a password reset. Yeah, and I, I don't know what the implication is. I think I would guess that it has to be third party supported and can be used on like open web and on Android well, think, the same way with I think OAuth. it works. I think it, it, it at least works on, yeah, it at least works on Safari. I don't know if there's any other right. things that support it. I didn't look into it that deeply. But uh, my point still stands is that I think it does, at least in some small way, lock you closer to Apple. Yeah, which is a completely fair point. Um, it's It'll be interesting, but I think for the general public who are just have their iPhone and have either a PC or a Mac that they don't use as much, but are, produ- pre- blah, are predominantly living on their phone nowadays, having hashed, like not even knowing your password and your Apple, your phone being your ID and having, you know, basically hashed VPN style email, I think, again, will be much like Face ID and stuff like that, will be a big privacy win for users and will lead to hopefully a lot less, you know, data breach damage. Um, but what, you know, that'll what, be, that'll wait to be seen. So what did you think of this shot across the bow at nest with the home kit secure video service? 
So I, I dipped out a little bit because I'm not much of a, I don't have much home kit anything. Um, this I thought was the most like innovative thing that they did this entire thing, this entire um, presentation. So Which I think idea, it is. I just, it just kind of glossed over me. Uh, so it was kind of right in the middle. Um, yeah. So the idea with this is that a lot of these services, Arlo and Nest, and like there's plenty of other of these sort of home security camera systems, they make money, they sell you the hardware, and then they also usually have a monthly or yearly service right. fee that you pay per camera, and that gives you a certain allotment of stored video. And sometimes you have to use it. It's Sometimes it really is kind of a bait and switch, from what I understand with some of these. Uh, with Nest, any kind of recording, keeping any kind of recording requires a subscription, I think. Um, but if you want to just the cameras work, right, they'll sure. still send you alerts and they'll still send you uh, you can still view them, obviously. But, yeah, if you want to say, oh, someone rang my doorbell and you want to go go back and look who it was, if you, you need a subscription for that, which I don't know if that's bait and switch. I think they make it pretty clear, but maybe other maybe other systems don't. But it is expensive. I think Nest, the lowest the lowest. Um, tier is still like five dollars per camera per month yeah. so i have i spend like 250 dollars a year or more on these cameras and what what uh apple will do is they will give you five days for free per camera or something like that for absolutely for free yeah which then and what revolve, it, it then just like disappears and revolves and it's constantly like the latest i can't remember if it was five days yeah. or a week um, I don't yeah, know something my like head, that. but yeah, something like that. But anyway, yeah, that's a lot of data. It's video. And if you have a lot of cameras, that is a lot. I see. I understand why it's expensive. I've never understood why Nest was so expensive because you're goddamn your Google. I'm sure this is way cheaper than you're doing that. And their other thing is they also will um, send this data to a server that runs some machine learning algorithms on it to tell you stuff about the video, right? Sometimes you can draw a, a perimeter so it can only alert you if something, like say you have, mm -hmm. what I do is I have my doorbell and I only draw around my yard. On so, the yard so, and porch. So, yeah, so pe if people walk on my sidewalk, it doesn't alert me. But if someone comes into my yard, it right. sends me an alert. So it runs some machine learning algorithms on that so it knows. And it knows the difference between, like, a person and if it's, like, a leaf that gets, like, the tree blowing a shadow right. or something. So did anything, uh, did any of the new products and the actual technology entice you? Or did the the um, HomeKit-enabled routers or any of that stuff entice you much? Is the pricing... Uh, enticed me but again apple is very late to this game it's probably at least four or five years late to yeah. this game i think a lot of people who are invested have it, or who have been interested in actually having cameras like this already invested in a nest or an arlo or something like that so yeah I, they're they're late to this game uh the i just thought it's very innovative and i like where they're going um they're doing this machine learning now on whatever your home kit whatever your home kit hub is yeah. So if it's an Apple TV, it's doing it on that. Very interesting. It's yeah. not something that I, I saw them going into. Um, same thing with the HomeKit routers, too. Um, it's it's very interesting that they're going that way, especially after they kill their own airports. Right. Especially, yeah, That's that, that was my idea, too. Yeah, I think it's cool. I It's... 
I, I'm glad they didn't kill it off because it didn't feel like there was a ton of traction on HomeKit, so I didn't know if they would really keep doubling down onto it. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting, and I'm actually, you know, we're gonna move pretty soon. I'm actually considering like getting into some of the smart LEDs, like more of the light bulbs and stuff like that. And it's kind of a good time now to consider, you know, uh, a couple cameras or other stuff like that. So now I'm kind of thinking more about having a better centralized system versus just buying whatever's cheap on Amazon that has the best ratings, you know? Right. So Apple invented street view 10 years, <laughs> 10 years too late. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I feel like I just missed a, a part of this. I, maybe I was just busy as it was happening, but I saw some of the stuff that was going on, but, um, better, you know, more detailed street view. Awesome. Yeah, more detailed maps and then Street View. And it looks, okay, it looks slightly better than Google's. Fine. Okay, whatever. Cool. I'm glad you have it. I imagine it doesn't have quite the rollout that Google Maps still has. Yeah, they said they're, they're rolling it out over this year. They said most major places over this year will have it in the U.S. and then rolling out to other places yeah. next year. Um, I Another feature, there... I was surprised that they revamped photos so much. That is very that the, the update to the photos app is very impressive to me. I think it looks really good. The way they present the information is very good. Um, yeah, I seems, seems I, like better. Seems like better post processing on like being able to just go in and update. I think well, they were better machine about learning basically yeah, on yeah. these. Well, even more than that, to be like, oh, all these pictures, these are like three of the same picture. So we're going to consolidate these when you look at these as, as an overview. Right. You know, this this picture has a lot of people in it. So we're going to make this picture bigger. Right. Uh, in the in like sort of a mosaic view. Um, oh, this is a video associated with it. So we're going to play the video in line. All that stuff. Very nice. And I think that's Google or um, Apple feeling that pressure from Google Photos, which now it looks like Apple has sort of leapfrogged them. Um, oh, I, mentioned I, this I last don't know. I mean, iCloud still feels like such a burden to get over. And I'm, I'm really curious if they make iCloud free or like a substantial part of it free uh, soon to have a private alternative to Google Photos, which I, I love Google Photos. I use it to back up pretty much everything I have. Um, yeah. But I'm curious I mean, if Apple of, feels more the, in terms of presentation, not sure, sort of like yeah. oh, all that backend stuff that is sort of annoying. But I think as more things come across iCloud, they need to be able to to get it into more users' hands without saying after five gigs, which is not even a quarter of your iPhone backup. Uh, it's time to start. We're going to start pinging you for changing your iCloud subscription. Yeah, but it's all it's all funny because you can get fifty gigs for a dollar a month. Right, um, which, which is then more, most people covers, I think, a lot, a lot of people. Um, but I still but no think one, that going from no one does it. I yeah. still think that going from zero to anything is a big hurdle for a lot of people, and most people today probably don't think about data as something they should be yeah. paying for in and that I, regard. I think, and I think Apple doesn't. I think they could be a little bit more insistent too. They could be like, "Hey, for like literally hit this button with your fingerprint for a dollar a month." You know, it could say like right now, half of your photos are not being backed up for a dollar a month. They're all be backed up. Yeah. You know, I, th I think a lot of people just don't understand that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they're closer, though, to just making it free for all users and then having better enterprise play than trying to get a dollar out of, you know, 
their oh, user base. I think you'd base. be surprised about the money they want to get from their users. We'll talk about that a bit about in a minute. Well, certainly, but I actually have a, somewhat of a theory on this. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, there's legit business and operating costs. But I think I I would be surprised. Like something tells me there would be more people willing to buy a thousand dollar phone with free backups than would be willing to buy a $600 phone with $1 a month charges. Right. Um, but yeah, cool stuff with that. Uh, AirPods better handoff. I don't have AirPods carplay. I have air. Seems cool. Yeah. Uh, Siri, better Siri, better. Right, native let's voices. move to the iPad. All right. iPad time. Uh, oh, also, uh, unknown callers go straight to voicemail. I love, I love that. I will turn that on day one, and I don't care <laughs> if you're a real number or not. Uh, I, I know. I, for, I forget who said this. I think it was just something I saw on Twitter. It's like, how do I know if you're a spam call? If you call me, you're a spam call. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're spam or you're a recruiter or whatever, and it's all the same in the end. Yeah. I uh, can't wait for that. Uh, yeah. I, what, what, iPad what OS. Was funny t- Oh, yeah, what was funny today? Funny story about that today. There's an unknown caller and I rejected it. And it tur- turns out it was Tesla wanting to fix my car. But you know what they did? They texted me immediately and we continued the conversation in text. I never had to talk to a person. Why can't you just all do that? <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot easier. All right. iPad OS, which is really not a real thing. Seems they ju- it's a marketing term. Uh, pretty much. I mean, pinned widgets. I'll say after 13 versions of iOS, I still can't believe that iPhone doesn't have a better homepage integration or better way to customize widgets and build like, you know, iPhone or iPad, uh, both like the fact okay. that you that apps still get pinned to the top and just kind of work their way down the snake line. And you can't just like on Android. It's definitely one thing I give Android more than anything is that you can just move stuff around. Um, and now they have widgets and stuff, but they still just don't have a way to say, like, I want quarter of my screen to be my calendar and the weather. Why can't I do that? Um, still baffles me. But uh, yeah. the steps are taken are, are cool. Bringing in yeah. some I, of the easy to hit uh, Mac OS type things like expose and some of the slide over stuff is kind of cool. Yeah. Well, the fact that they improve multitasking even more is great. I love the fact that you can in the slide overview, basically get its own app switcher, which was always the problem. Like, and they still haven't fully solved it, which is, okay, say I have an app, in main app, and then I have a slide overview. It's still clunky. Um, it's so really How do clunky. I, if it's not in the app switcher, how do I get it to be a slide over? What I would have to, and if, if it's not in the app switcher or it's not in the dock, right? I have to go to the home screen and then I have to find it and then I have to, I don't even yeah. like, long press on it, go back to my view and then put it there. Yeah. It's crazy. I can't go from if, like, I'll have a video up or like watch a sports game and I'll have like Reddit on the sidebar. And if I try to go to notes and it's not in the dock somewhere. Yeah. I have to like exit out of the entire thing. It's crazy. Get notes it makes up. Notes. So this then it's the one of the problem. most recent then re get yes. into the video, do the whole yes. thing. Yeah. Preach. Yes. Preach. That, <laughs> um, the also, uh, well, you, there is a way to actually do this that is great, and they've solved it already, but it only works if you have a keyboard. If you have a keyboard uh, attached to your yeah. iPad, you can do bring up Spotlight under over any view using Command Space. Then you can search for an app. You hmm. can then, with your finger, um, pull that icon out, and then you can use it. 
in the in the context you're in right now. Interesting. So if they had just if they just made made somehow made spotlight like through a gesture or made spotlight invocable through any view, this problem is solved. Um, I await your consulting fee, Apple. I wonder if the pull down would then take the app icon out of the lock screen, reopen it. I don't know. That's cool. I didn't know that. Um, it did seem kind of cool. They they added, again, like better multitasking. The keyboard shifting and being like a little more one-handed, I think is kind of cool. Um, yeah. uh, Chrome OS has that. Yeah. Um, and I use it a lot, which yeah. is, yeah, you can have a floating keyboard and you can swipe on that floating keyboard. It really, when you're using it in pure tablet mode, um, especially like when you're in bed or something, just having the keyboard over your thumb or something and you're swiping versus like every time you click into a text field, a three quarters of the screen is taken up by the keyboard. That is seems a, way like a nicer. Game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Seems way nicer when you're in like a lounging position to not have to keep pecking at the keys. Yes. Um, yeah. Apple Pencil down like half the latency. Uh, and then they introduced Sidecar, they that, which insane. I think is awesome because I've always wanted that. And I tried to download AstroPad and Duet. And mm-hmm. they never worked as a second screen to, to, uh, display for me. Like they kind of worked, but it broke the resolution all the time. So it was just really grainy. And when you're looking at code or anything like that, it just it gives me a headache. So that didn't last very long at all. Um, and then as somebody who used to love kind of playing in Photoshop on a Wacom tablet, even one of the cheap ones, and I kind of always wanted the iPad to be that true Photoshop mirror uh i'm really excited for this sidecar i hope it actually delivers yeah we'll see but but usually when apple sherlock something so they're sherlock uh-huh. uh, yeah. those they usually don't go all the way they usually some parts really work really well because they have system hooks and then like all the f- niceties they never do because it's like one team worked on it once and then never they forgot about it yeah yeah we'll see Uh, what do you think what do you think of the new copy paste text editing gestures and other like text insertion things uh i don't remember what are so so oh i wanted i wish you had remembered because the guy who was demoing this had such a hard time doing it oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah so they changed basically i'd be interested to see this in real life because it used to be this is a paradigm from like the first version of ios which is like you hold down and you get the magnifying glass right and that's how you start text selection so they kind of change this around that you can just take that cursor move it anywhere with your finger which is weird because it's a very small tap target as compared to everything else it's like this eye beam that's flat you know mm-hmm. that's uh flashing and then multi-select has some double tap gestures now which is fine um, but the biggest thing is there's system-wide copy-paste undo gestures that are three-finger gestures. So it's like right. a swipe left or right or something copies, right undoes, and then like in cut cuts and out pace, um, which is I'm sure it's pretty intuitive, but... Um, I hope it works because that stuff is still clunky on on both yeah. phones. Like it's just always a problem to me to like hold it and then you're sort of holding it and it's select, but it's not select all yet. So then you have to copy and then it's like trying to copy a URL. I feel like I always still screw it up. Yeah, I don't know if this is coming to iOS because like, three finger gestures on iOS would be hard, especially on a smaller. Sure. Phone. Yeah. So I don't know if that's actually coming. I don't know. 
Um, but the the changes to Files app I know is coming to both iOS and mm-hmm. iPad OS. That is nice. It makes it actually look and work like the Finder now, which is like kind of mind blowing to me. I hope it still works. I like Files is again one of those apps that like feels like it's opening things up in a positive way, and then it's literally never used because I don't know what I would use it for. Right, because sometimes because it has those cloud providers. Like you could put Google Drive as a cloud provider, but it never works as well as just going to the Google Drive app. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But the fact that you can now, it's more or less a real computer now because you can stick a USB drive in it. It opens in files and you can do stuff with it. And plug in or, a camera and then run camera like software editing apps or yeah, like Lightroom without Mobile. Without going through an intermediary, the fo- without going through the intermediary. Yeah. Which Pre- is great. Pretty cool. That's cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm into that, and that definitely makes it much more closer to a real computer. Forgive me, people who love iPads. <laughs> what computer? Uh, Safar- or- As web developers, Safari, I don't know what they're actually doing. People call it a desktop Safari, but I don't think it actually is. It is just a refinement to how um, Safari deals with viewport right. in on iPad. Right. That's what it seems like. But, hey, if they say it makes a huge difference, they literally in their marketing materials show Google Docs in Safari. So <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I so if they say it makes Google, they say it makes Google Docs, Squarespace, and WordPress work nicely, basically. Hmm. I guess those are problem apps. Like when I'm just looking at blogs and other stuff, that's never yeah, an issue. Yeah, I really run, yeah, I don't run into too many problems. Yeah. Um, the down, download manager finally is nice. Yeah. That's cool. It only took, you know, forever. You could, they could have had added that such a long time ago. So it makes me feel like they actually are trying to make it a full desktop, you know, a not a baby computer, a real computer. Yeah. I mean, every, Again, you know, every year it's still getting closer. And I, I think for the better. I mean, if you continue to give iPad the good parts of computers and give computers the good parts of iPad, I think that's a great way towards the future so. yeah uh all right cheese grater time cheese grater box grater time i literally took in my notes i it was in the mac mac os section i go mac pro ugliest cheese grater ever i was gonna say that this computer <laughs> is very ugly it's hideous and it's not I even hate- the black color the like right okay yeah no one's mentioned this yet yeah which is like i thought we were having whenever you think apple we're going to be consistent they throw a wrench in everything (laughs) which is like okay the pro color is space gray right The regular people color is silver okay cool let's go with that this one silver again it's literally the cheese grater you can get at target for six bucks but it's six thousand dollars. Six thousand dollars. Yes, uh, man. It, it. Yeah, this is one of those things. Like yeah. it, 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 Johnny Ive was so proud of it too. I don't. Okay, I'm gonna be the guy who thinks Johnny Ive is actually not a great designer. <laughs> I think he had Steve Jobs to tell him to like, um, like pare down some of his tendencies to be like ultra brutalist in his um designs and i think this is a perfect example of it i think if you know i i I hate being that person but like i think if 
there's another person who was the equal of Johnny Ive within the organization with a design, I would be like, this is too brutalist. You need to make it less ugly. I would, I don't know. I would disagree a little bit. And mostly to say that, like, I think Apple truly is going to sound contradictory when we get to the stupid thousand dollar stand. But I think when it came to the Mac Pro, Apple knew how scorned the like high end rendering people felt. So they even like had multiple summits where they brought in people, either journalists or actual users to come in and talk about what they wanted in a public fashion. And I think they literally gave people a box that's still fairly small and sleek that isn't because if they wanted it to be shut in like glass panels or whatever, it would be a giant ATX tower uh, computer size, but it seems like it's somewhat small, um, but it's completely interoperable where you can move and take out just about any parts and add what you want, which is, I think what people want. They want a box where they could put, you know, 10, 000, you know, 10 terabytes of data in if they want, or they want a box where they can have, you know, eight GPUs rendering if it's a true rendering farm computer, um, which is, I did like, I think it's kind like, of a good thing. I did like that. They mentioned that it has a rack mountable option. Yes. Which I think is awesome. Cause I, yes. I know like I've heard stories of people who, who do legit stuff like do video rendering at the white house and other things who are on these massive, massive, plays and they've said like easily like 10 grand for a server rack thing that you can slot in and slot out like we'll buy 20 of them like they're on that level um so i think you know it's like i was disappointed that it was six thousand dollars because i knew it was definitely not in my price range uh there's no chance i'm ever buying one of these but get an imac pro they're I, much better yeah but also i don't ever need it like they're truly apple's truly yeah. in a space now where there are products really, that 90 percent of people do not need at all yeah but but 90 percent of people on the internet think they need to buy everything apple makes including the mac pro and it's are disappointed when it's focused for people who edit AK video seemingly sure um, youtubers are going to really have upset. a field day buying it and saying how their AK video is super important but there's five yeah. of the thousand that are going to make videos that actually need it yeah no this is for this is for the Marcus Brownleys of the world yeah. these YouTube creators it's for even more than that it's for actually people at Pixar actually right. people at you know, yep. who are, you know, in movie studios who are doing this stuff and you're not, they're not paying for it. Some company that's making millions of dollars, it, you know, for the cost of how much it makes, takes to make a Hollywood movie, $6,000 is nothing. No, Pixar will buy a, a thousand of these and max them out yeah. to $20,000 a piece or whatever. Yeah, and just, yeah. just, you know, a thousand extra stands just because. Yeah. Uh, I felt even worse about the display when I was like, this is the greatest display I've ever scene i am yeah. i'm gonna have to sell this thunderbolt display and somehow find a way to pay yeah. for a fifteen hundred dollar yeah. monitor I, yeah. like, I am ready you to pay I, for a fifteen hundred dollar monitor and then the price came out and said i am not buying one of these today or ever no i was like when it was going out i'm like if it's twenty five hundred dollars i'm gonna buy it. right <laughs> <laughs> but then it wasn't uh, uh but yeah you and i as people who have had thunderbolt displays i've had four thunderbolt displays in my life i'm looking at one right I now yeah I love them so much. I moved on to 4K displays because they were getting along in the tooth. Yeah. And these 4K displays are pretty good and they're reasonably cheap, but they're ugly and they're not perfect in every way. Yeah. Like the way the Thunderbolt displays are, they don't do the one connection to your computer thing. Um, yeah, I honestly uh, think just in the last year or two, 
are we seeing uh, you know, monitors that are the same price and size of this Thunderbolt display in our 4K actually prove itself to be worth it over the Thunderbolt? Because anything under that uh, has, to me, has always been an issue. It has never looked as good, um, has never had the resolution. Like, it just, it's always felt off. And something about these Thunderbolt displays just always feels so good. Um, I, I think, agree. like you said, now now it's starting to cross over. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope they come out with a, I don't know. I would love for them to come out with just a good 4k display at like 160 well, well, Hertz or maybe like an adaptive 120 Hertz display or something well, like that. Yeah. Well, if they just took the display that's currently in the iMac, the 5k display, the 27 yeah, yeah. inch and made it a standalone I think a lot of people would buy that, and that one would be a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, and be reasonable right. for a human to buy. That not this crazy display that is awesome, but also wholly in the back. But you don't need to look at that. Yeah. So, um, so I do like the fact that it has very small bezels, unlike the mm-hmm. iMac, unlike the you know the all the other things that Apple makes um, in terms of desktop things. That's nice. So maybe that portends. What an upgrade to the iMac Pro, maybe using this display. That would be great. Maybe that would be a way in to be a little bit cheaper in that it's coming with a whole computer. Yeah, for sure. So I think this is my my hunch, which I think we've talked about before, where I think Apple wants to be a private company again. I think they're actually like they and we've seen it like anytime their stock dips, they buy billions of dollars of their own stock back off the market. Mm-hmm. I think they want to get to a place where they have a controlling share of their market again so that they don't have to deal with investors. Um, but what does that give them? Do they even listen to investors as of now even? Well, they do. And I think that's actually what this is. I mean, in order to have a stock price continue to drive up. Oh, you're saying, okay. You're the most, you're the most, uh, you know, the most, not expensive, though you have the most net worth of any company in the world. Like you're crossing a trillion dollars regularly at this point. And yet today that means nothing to an investor because it's all about what they do tomorrow. I think Apple is heavily, heavily pricing some of these things like a thousand dollars stand and a, you know, 20 to get a display in a Mac OS in a new Mac pro that is actually works and does what you need it to is probably going to be close to like $25,000 for most, for like right. the average well, one, let's not, which yeah, means let's that not just it mention has to be, base. No, no, which, which means that I think they're moving some of this stuff into the enterprise market in a way that is not going to be for most consumers, but will draw a lot of short term money into stockholder favor as they continue to build out their privacy and as the you know the phones and the other things for the consumer market uh continue to grow uh which you know as we're seeing again like ipad sales are slowing phone sales across the board are slowing just because people are holding on to devices longer so you have to find a way to keep the core happy while you're still making good money uh, and again, I mean, this is ridiculous to say good money as you're the most profitable c- company in the world. But I, I think it's almost more of leaning towards enterprise for their their money and facilitating stockholders as they continue to find a way to to privatize more of their company. That's interesting. I would hope they talked about this, I think, in I, in the iOS part, uh, but they talked about having both work and home apple ids Mm -hmm. 
So maybe that is also a push into the enterprise. I really wish the one of the main reasons I sort of switched away from a lot of Apple stuff to Google stuff is because I at work use G Suite. I mm -hmm. at my side business use G Suite. Um, I personally use Gmail. Yep. Um, and it just works better and gives me software wise, maybe not hardware wise, the greatest experience ever, but software wise, the greatest experience ever. That's Google is the Apple of server software. Um, and I would love to see what Apple could do in that space. Like I would love to see an iCloud for work. Yeah. Uh, and a good one. Cause I, there was a time not even that long ago, six, seven years ago where iCloud was a joke. Like it was terrible. It did not work well. They were not a services company and they actually, you know, we saw them spin hard into the hardware game because they started buying chip manufacturers and stuff because they were not in a place to be a services company. And now we're seeing hardware in a lot of ways as it, even though it progresses, slow down somewhat. And, you know, it's being helped somewhat because they're tapping into India and other third part, like good, what are becoming good middle-class markets like India and China and other stuff. But, uh, you know, I think th they've seen that th they can't just be good hardware and so, so software. I think they really have to hit it on all fronts and they found a really great niche with privacy and security being first and foremost. So I'm curious how they double down on that with software and, you know, their services going forward beyond just like TV plus and games arcade and whatever, like what is, what do services look like in that, in that perspective? Like what does work iCloud look like? Uh, what is, you know, better just sharing home, home kit sharing, uh, but having total control over your stuff look like in the long term, uh, which, you know, which seems like it's on a good track. I actually thought this, besides the <laughs> dumb thousand dollar stand bit, I thought this was a really, really strong keynote. One of the strongest yeah, I've heard you, in a do, while. Do, yeah, I agree. Apple sometimes they kind of, you know, I think Apple and Google, I hate to keep bringing up Google, but I think they switch off a lot with like who comes out punching each year for their respective developer conferences. Sure. Like some years Google comes out punching. It's like, Feature, 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 amazing feature, amazing feature. And then Apple's like, oh, we made iOS slightly different looking. Right, cameras the are like 0.1 aperture for, you know, better, you know. Yeah. And then some years, Apple's like, feature, feature, feature. And then I think this year is that that one where Apple is like, really comes out punching. Google was less so this year yeah. as we were kind of disappointed. So, yeah, no, this overall was very good. And we forgot to talk about one thing, Mac OS. Two big things happened. What a, one of them was the great killing of iTunes. Yeah. By splitting it into three separate apps, which we all saw coming. Which was, yeah, which was completely inevitable. Although I do really love that they're doing the entire iPhone backup bit just in a tab in Finder. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, that's, that's very smart. I, no, I don't think anyone predicted that, predicted that yeah. would happen. You know, But you forget that, they, oh yeah, they make macOS. They don't have to like make a separate app to do syncing. They could just right. build it in. Um, and the other big thing is Project Catalyst. Right, yeah. So that's something to talk about, which is the idea where they, they previewed it last year, but like it's now people, developers that was, can actually what do was it. Codename and Marzipan? Yeah. yeah. And we're going to start seeing apps built on Project Catalyst that are from third-party developers probably this year when 
Catalina launches. Yeah, which is how do you how do you describe Project Catalyst? Because I don't know how to put it into words, to be honest. It's a way to run basically run iPad apps on the Mac that gives it map Mac specific things. Yeah, it's like a native builder for already built iPhone and iPad apps. Like it just it takes all like it it takes the app. It's a and virtualization just, layer essentially. It's right. basically like in a more Apple-y way. The way you could run Android apps on Chrome OS. Yeah. In a more Apple-y way is the same way you can run uh, behind the scenes. It's essentially running a VM of iOS. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's almost um, backwards from what we always see. Because you always see like a desktop app or something go through um, Cordova or iPhone. React Native or whatever, and then turn basically web yeah. code into an app. And this is the on well, it's not web code, but it's then turning the iPhone app into a desktop grade app, um, yeah. essentially as seamless as possible, which is really awesome. Yeah, I think I think. What I like about this is I think it goes both ways. It's going to help iPad and it's going to help the Mac. That means all these great iPad apps that you use. Jira was when they came up and talked was the most impressive to me because they have a really nice. They recently have a really nice mobile app. Mm-hmm. Um, they went and they made the within a couple of days made the Jira Mac app that is basically all reused code from the iPad app that they put a little bit of sugar on top of Mac sugar on top of, and you have a really nice app. Yeah. So if we, if we see that, um, you know, all these great apps that are normally websites on, uh, the Mac, you know, Slack, right. Slack could be a native app now instead of being, I guess maybe Slack on iOS is also a react native ish app. I think so. so. Who knows what's happening there? Yeah. So, but anyway, the same idea. Any of these like apps that are native apps now on iPad, I, I assume we're going to see come to the Mac, uh, more or less. If they're not abandonware, they're going to mm-hmm. the developer is going to want them to be on the Mac because it just opens a brand new um, market for them. So it would be kind of be stupid not to do that. Uh, but it goes the other way too because then to make it a good to make this iPad app a good Mac app, you're going to have to add some stuff. You're going to have to add keyboard shortcuts. You're going to have to add different types of menuing and maybe some more advanced features that Mac users come to expect. And that will trickle back down to the iPad app. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And again, so like, I think it's kind of very, I think it's very smart. It shouldn't be difficult if good developer docs exist, which they do, and good you know practices are kind of baked into Xcode and all that stuff to make it that much easier to get it up and running. Um, and I guess the last thing, a, a good one to go out on, it, just because I thought it was just so interesting, and I'm, I was really surprised that the crowd took it so well was the find my features which now has software that will ping like you could completely lose a macbook and it will ping nearby using open bluetooth and stuff it will ping other devices and basically centralize um centralize the location of your lost item even if it's not connected to wi-fi or anything which is i think awesome but then it's just like man that's i've never I've never seen that before. And to rely on other users' phones, I was like, man, that's 
again, hopefully in a private and anonymized way. But I was like, that's yeah. They he yeah, Craig Frederick talked about it that it has actually has zero effect on your battery or anything because the packets are writing on other carrier signals already. Yeah, and the packet so should like, be so like, small it won't matter. But Craig Federighi had to do some. I imagine he had to do some real sidestepping to say that on stage and have it come out coherent and not skeevy at all. Uh, you yeah. know, kind of give him props there. No, yeah. Overall, Apple did a lot of stuff, um, and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty impressed. I hope they can keep up this pace and not like fall back to oh we added some pixels somewhere next year. We, like we did a redesign of iOS or some stupid like that, and not just like real really go into making this stuff, you know, maturing these things. Like Mac OS is pretty mature. So what they're doing now is they're just bringing apps, yeah. iOS apps to it. I iPad OS is less mature, but now that it has a name, even though looking behind the scenes, everything is still iOS, right? And, and the code and yeah. stuff is iOS. But at least giving it a different marketing name kind of forces them to, when they get up every year and they talk about the 20 operating systems they have, they will have to talk about, have some talking points about iPad OS. Yeah, certainly. I think, yeah, n notwithstanding Mac OS, if you lump sort of watchOS TV, all that sort of into iOS 13, because it's sort of all centered around that core, this was definitely, I think, you know, the tick, like the, the big hitter of the TikTok cycle where it's like, you know, one is feature set, one is security and performance. One is feature set, one is performance. Um, they came out with a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that changes a lot of ways that apps are being used. But again, it doesn't change it in like, stop, you have to change what you're doing. It's changes as in this is easier now, or this is more secure, or this is a better way of doing things, uh, which I think is a huge win. Yeah. Totally.